Full transparency, sometimes I fangirl over my guest, and this episode is definitely one of those. Christian Bevere is incredible. I follow her on social media. She talks about healthy relationships. She's gorgeous. Her husband's gorgeous. They're just amazing humans talking about some amazing truth bombs on the internet. And she wrote her first book. It's called Break Up With What Broke You. Some I know they can relate to that. That is so good. Anyway, so she's going to unpack all the things. Here we go. If you are in your 20s hoping there is more to life than boys and Bacardi, you are in the right place. Katie Ballmer has been a keynote speaker to over 60 colleges nationwide, encouraging 20-somethings to realize their worth, find their calling, and not date their bags. But seriously, Katie is an author, viral TikTok creator, wife, mom of two girls, and your adopted aunt that you never knew how bad you needed. Ready to have some real conversation tackling the hottest topics? This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Christian Bevere, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Katie. It's an honor to get some FaceTime with you. Oh, the honor is mine. I love what you're doing on social media. I have been following for a while. And you've written several, like you had your hand in a lot of things, but this is your first Mm -hmm. solo book, correct? It is, which I didn't realize like, oh, okay, that means all eyes on you. I don't know if that's fun, <laughs> but it's been such a treat to to get to write this book and it's my most vulnerable one yet. So bear with me, people. <laughs> well, you do vulnerable well, and I think that's why people are so drawn to you because you know, just taking off the mask and this is who I am. This is what I've struggled with and talking about shame, which is obviously not a pretty topic. You're like, I'm not. Cookie recipes, you know, some people talk about Yes, yes. Like, let me tell you. I should have done that first to get the buy in. (laughs) No, I love it. You're like, let me tell you my deep, dark secrets. And people are loving your vulnerability and loving what you have to say. So, if you don't mind just backing up for a little bit, maybe if people aren't familiar with you and what you do, what are you up to, my friend? (laughs) Well, you know, I love this question in one sense because it's always changing, right? Um, right now, I'm the mom to a one-year-old, so life looks different every day. But my husband and I really just love to make content for people. You know, we we feel the the pleasure and like the pressure to share. Like, hey, this is what life's really like. These are how we have wins. This is how we um, thrive in our relationships. This is how we know God and hear His voice. Like it it kind of sounds like two different areas, but in essence, like God made us for relationships. We have a relationship with him. So the better we can understand that, I think the better we are in so many areas. So um, we do podcasts, YouTube, we write books sometimes. And um, yeah, I really just love getting to do life with him, if I'm honest. Well, I love what you share too, just kind of like the real moments. And I think that that's so, I always say, you know, young women are craving, what does a healthy couple look like? And And I know you're not perfect. No one is, but we don't see it on TV. <laughs> it's hard to find even on social media. And so you're like pulling back the curtain and here's right. what we're figuring out along the way. And so yeah. I love what you're doing there. Um, you know, what's funny is I also saw, I didn't anticipate talking about this, but um, doing my daily scrolling, which I'm trying to get rid of, but it haunts me. <laughs> I need to break up with that probably. <laughs> but um, I saw like the new Snow White movie is coming out and they're trying to get rid of like the prince trope, like, oh, you don't need a man, all this stuff. And you're right. I think we've seen um, so much of this like feminism, like self-sufficiency. And, you know, I am all for if God's put a, a passion on your heart, like go for it. You and I are both podcasters. Like we we do the things, right? But the lie of the enemy, which I think is really um, kind of shamefully underlining nowadays, is like you can do everything yourself. Don't rely on anyone. 
don't be vulnerable. Um, it's wrong to want a relationship. And that's just simply not true. And so I'm glad that you do what you do and you share how to do that in a very healthy and godly way. Um, okay. Well, I already want to get on this rabbit trail <laughs> <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> because this is a subject that's not being talked about enough as well. A hundred percent, you know, yes, you're a strong, independent woman. And I'm over here. Like I speak to sororities, like women empowerment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oops, I hit my However, men are not the devil. Men are a wonderful companion to this thing called life um, when relationships are done well. So yeah, I, I want to talk about that for a hot minute. Like feminism in the beginning was good. Women, you know, mm-hmm. right to vote, you know, buy your own property. And, and let's talk about way back. My favorite story in the Bible is the woman at the well, how Jesus had a conversation with a heartbroken, no name woman who they didn't even record her name because like, it's not important. You know, her story is not important. She's been married five times. She's a harlot. Like people said she wasn't important. And Jesus said she was, he was the first person to put value on women. So anyways, yeah, girl, can we talk about that? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I don't even know what to ask, but but let's talk about it. No. And I think that the pendulum did swing so far at one point where I was like, if you had worth it all, kind of like you're saying, if you wanted land, if you wanted a house, if you wanted a name written down or recorded, you had to be tied to someone else's last name, which we see the beauty is like only Jesus can give us our worth, can give us our legitimate name. So we know in our hearts of hearts, which all this really can be summed up to just know the know the Lord and know the word, but I'm going to keep going because why not? We have a few minutes left, right? Um, and then so we go to this other pendulum swing, which I think we are now where it's, you know, get everything yourself. Like don't rely on anyone. But the truth of the matter is God made male and female. He made relationships, not just for you to get your birth for this guy, but to you to have this partnership where you sharpen each other, you better each other, you equip and call each other. And I've seen that be so true in my marriage where, um, I do think I'm a better person. I do think God is is leading me to more than he he ever has, not because he would be unable to do it if I was single right now, but because I trusted that this was the route he had for me, the partner he wanted me to do life with. And I've allowed him to use this person that I'm one being refined to love the way that he, Christ loves his bride every day and vice versa. He's doing that to me. Um, there's just something beautiful within that dynamic where if we take all the tensions off of like, well, I'm single and I'm sad, or like, I don't want to be confined. Like, let's just tear back these feelings and emotions and like longings and really see singleness is a beautiful gift where God meets you so personally. One, you have more time than you ever do in your entire life. Um, And then marriage and relationships is also this dynamic where you see different facets of God. So they're both purposeful. But let's not say that one degrades the other or like you have to pick and choose. But like, honestly, let's just be led in them both and see the beauty because God created them both. Yes. Yes. Amen. Thank you. I just was like, okay, (laughs) we need to talk about that for a hot second. We do. We do. (laughs) Okay. Break up with what broke you, what you wrote the book about. Um, If we can just kind of rewind a little bit, you know, why did you write this book? I know you've walked through what you qualify as shame and stuff and felt unqualified, you know, I'm sure your teenage self never saw this coming. Yeah. So (laughs) back us up to who you were, uh, young Christian and, and why you kind of, how the birth, the book was being birthed back then that you didn't even know. Yeah. I love that you talked to sorority girls because college was honestly the time that I felt like everything within me 
good intentions, bad mistakes, longings, insecurities, um, hopes and dreams was just like making this melting pot where I could tell I'm like, there's just some things in here that aren't working to make the desired outcome. And it was a chance for me to really um, sort that out and find understanding and healing. And honestly, you know, we, we want to say that healing is this beautiful thing and God just like sweeps it all away, which he does in his strength, but we're still messy humans, right? Like we still have to say, okay, what are you pulling out? Oh, okay. That wasn't supposed to be there. I made that decision. And so this time, honestly, the hardest part I think of coming to a healing journey is identifying the brokenness. And I start the book by saying, Hey guys, we're all broken. I know this isn't fun, but that like confess your sins mentality of like, let's identify what the problem is. One, so we don't keep going back to it, but two, so we can actually be unashamed. You know, shame is such a tantalizing topic, I think, for especially for women, because it's almost this idea of if we admit we've done wrong or, um, you know, those anxiety crushing feelings, those skeletons in our closet, like we're almost scared to face off with them because what does that mean about our worth? Does that mean, you know, no one's going to love us? Does that mean that we're damaged goods? But it's actually quite the opposite. I saw as when I was finally able to vocalize the things that I've been feeling in my heart, the habits that I've been doing that no one could see, all of these things that were damaging and breaking me, I was able to get rid of shame and feel unashamed because I was like, oh, those things no longer serve me. I'm not giving them attention. I'm not giving them space in my heart. I'm not having this this secrecy and isolation where they can just compound and like honestly bully me into thinking I'm someone I'm not. So it's so countercultural to what we feel, especially when we're in the midst of, of shame and you know, chapters one through five is really this uncovering is what I call it because I'm like, let's just go there. Let's like dig up the weeds so we can actually have something that's bountiful, like a garden of what God's deposited in us. We don't have things choking that out. If you are not already using and loving liquid IV, let me just rock your world for a little bit. I know me personally, I would get overheated very easily and people say, well, you need to drink water or whatever. Like I get it, but I, I couldn't drink enough. I would get constantly get headaches and find myself depleted until I discovered liquid IV. I literally use it as my coffee every morning. There is a pineapple flavor that has energy with it as well. There's something that doesn't have caffeine. You can get multiple flavors, but I love the energy kind. I drink it every morning, add a little collagen powder to it. It is, it's like my life changer. I love this stuff so much and I'm so excited to share with you. They are offering my listeners a discount code of 20% off, which is so kind and so generous. I'm so excited about it. All you have to do is go to liquidiv.com and use promo code TRUTH at checkout. That is 20% off anything. So you can get the pineapple, the energy drink, the regular kind of watermelon is also a personal favorite at our house. My kids love that one. So that's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today by using promo code TRUTH at liquidiv.com. I'm looking back because you, you have a quote that is talking about that and I loved it so much. Shame isn't a result of a mistake, it's a byproduct of not properly dealing with a mistake. And I think that's so good because I don't, I don't know if it's a culture thing or a human thing, but we, we tend to be like, okay, yeah, this crappy thing happened, move on. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, maybe if you lose your keys or, you know, there, there's things like that, <laughs> there's a lot more traumatic things that need to be dealt with. And, you know, I am thankful we live in a day and age where counseling is not as taboo as it used to be. But yeah, maybe just unpack like, what does it look like to deal with 
the junk. <laughs> it's junky. I know, right? It's messy. It's messy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, for pra- very, very practically, I love that you put a quote from the book because I sound much better on paper than I do in person. So if you get even like a smidge of this podcast, please go read the book. I promise I do better there. But dealing with shame and dealing with like brokenness and the things that we need to get out of our life, it, it starts with realizing where they are. I don't think we can do that until we have a revelation from God. And very practically for me, I was in college. You know, I was at a point where I thought, oh, this is my second chance. Like I'm walking away from my one of my literal ex-boyfriends, like I'm doing this and that. Um, this is my time to like get right with God, get my career, graduate, you know, all the things like the Pinterest worthy. I'm going to meet my man, get my degree. But there was just so much, like you're saying, I didn't actually deal with why did I make those decisions? What do those decisions, um, what are they saying about my worth? What am I carrying and, and how do I see myself now? And I got in community with some really great girls, started going to church, went all in, actually was doing an internship there. And it wasn't until months into being in the right spaces that I was able to realize the things that were feeling wrong inside. And it's almost like a nudge. Like you think of when do you go to the doctor, not just, oh, okay, I broke my arm. I know it's wrong. Like, just heal me. Okay, let's let's get it up with. It's usually, I feel this thing. And then I felt this other symptom. And I don't know why this is going on. Like, do a test. Tell me what's wrong. And I think that's similar to our healing journey. I'm starting to feel shame. I'm comparing myself to everyone. I'm, I'm noticing I'm constantly talking down to myself. Why is that? Like, do a deep dive and just say, Lord, like, I, I lay everything at your feet not just because he wants us to admit that we're wrong, but because he's like, okay, let me sort it out. Let me show you where that was not my intention. That was not my will. And let me redeem your story, get you right on back on the right path. What you just said kind of unpacks what I want to talk about next and how shame separates us from our identity. And I think that that's so huge because I don't know, maybe this sounds cute on a t-shirt or something, but your identity is literally everything. And I heard it said one time, one of my friends, Ansley Britton, you might follow her on social media, but she talked about how if someone came up to you and said, oh, I like your blue hair, you'd be like, I don't, I don't have blue hair. What are you talking about? Because you're so confident in that fact. And that was so powerful because I think about how, if we know who we are in Christ, then who cares if someone else is prettier or skinnier or richer or more popular or whatever, like we knowing our identity. So anyway, I know you talk a lot about that and um, yeah, identity, shame. Give me some info. <laughs> yeah, I think you touched on something too. There is like the world of comparison is widely what we base our status and our worth on. And it's just this, it's really a model of either degrading or inflating our self-worth, right? Not our true identity. Like you said, our identity is I am confident I am this person. I'm confident that I am a redeemed daughter, that I am a woman on a mission, that I am loved, I'm seen, I'm valued. And when I don't know those things, what am I going to, to figure that out? For me, I wanted to be loved so bad. I was like, someone give me attention. Like I want to be seen. I was like wanting attention from guys that I would never have thought I would even date it or like wanted to be interested in, not because of them, but because of me. And so we have this comparison model where we're like, well, What's my self-worth? Am I prettier than she is? Am I more successful than this person? Are they more liked than I am? Oh gosh, I must not be liked. And so we're we're looking outwardly instead of internally to see who am I? Who do people know me as? What am I noticed as? And if we know anything over the last few years, it's that people's opinions change. 
social media, you can say one thing and mean it one way and someone just takes it and runs the other way. So like, it's not a sure foundation, especially people that are, are not in our, our tight circle that we already have investment with to tell us who we are. So comparison opinions, like, please, if you're listening to this, just throw that at the wayside because they're ever changing. Now, if someone, if people in your close circle are like, Hey, there's a problem you need to address. Don't be like, Oh no, it's fine. It's your opinion. But let's have real investment from the people that actually know us. Because if we just want everyone to see us, like I I felt this way so much. I had to be a perfectionist. I had to be seen as like this perfect image. And I had no idea, Katie, how widely tied to shame that that is. Because it's, I feel disgusting, unseen, unlovable. So everyone has to tell me I'm not, or one person's validating that that's true. And I could go on a whole rabbit hole there, but... I don't even know your original question, but I'm just so passionate about <laughs> oh, all so the, the little ways that this connects. And it really does go back to, do we know our identity? And it is more than just a cute saying on a t-shirt. And it's more than just reading your Bible, but it's knowing that if I want to be purposeful, if I want to even just know God, I have to know that he created me. He sent his son to die for me. And that means that I'm valuable in his eyes. And that means that he's a loving father. Like it's just this domino effect that I'm like, let's hit the right one so we can really see how beautifully this all unfolds. One thing I have noticed for the good with my Gen Z friends is it seems by and large, and this is a big blanket statement that comments on social media do tend to roll out their back a little bit more because they do realize how fleeting that is or whatever. I say that, that that's a very big blanket statement because what I also see people who want to have bigger, a bigger platform. I want to be a podcaster, a speaker or whatever. They're also sitting on the sidelines, seeing people being attacked on social media and making them cower. And that I have strong feelings about <laughs> like, don't let, don't squash your voice because of some random hater on the internet. So I guess it's a balance because we also, of course, know that there's a lot of mental health issues with, you know, comparison and yada, yada. So I, I think it's both. And, but I know you write in the book about how, what does that look like? How do you free yourself from the comparison trap? Because I know so many young women are like, that's real when it comes to, you know, what I'm dealing with every day. Like, how do you fill your mind with something different or the right comparisons? Yeah. I I love that about Gen Z, that they are confident. I would want to just kind of put a pin in that and say, like, make sure you are confident in the right thing. Yeah. Because sometimes we can have our heightened opinions instead of our convictions and it will It'll lead us to be tied to things that weren't meant to hold us. And I found that true at certain points in my life. And I think maybe millennials, we had like the MySpace days where like that's when the social bullying really started happening. I actually remember the walking down the hall that I was in high school when we had our first social media bullying thing actually take place in our school and like someone got expelled. And I was like, wow, this really is a big deal. And it's only amplified that. I mean, we think of cancel culture and all these things, which I know is not exactly what we were talking about. Um, And I even had an email yesterday of someone just going off. I'm like, wow, this is very loaded. Like, Why why do we feel so much pent up um, angst? And I think that is a part of like, we're taking in so much information, so many opinions. And we're sometimes we're like, I just have to, I have to say something or I'm going to combust. But to me, it's just another um, a way of recognizing like we're not supposed to take the weight of the world, the opinions of the world, the the status of the world even. I love 
in the Christian community, it's almost a funny thing, but we're like, you're a world changer and like, go change the world. And sometimes I thought, well, that how on earth does one person change the entire world? But it's really not this take it out to the streets and reach everyone, please everyone. But it's like, what is your world around you? How do you make um, change and impact where you are? And I'm going on so many rabbit holes from the questions you asked, but I just thought that that was um, something timely I see, especially for Gen Zs and then even millennials is is knowing what to be tied to and, and who to reach. But really breaking up with comparison, we have to we have to be able to see like one, we're all unique and we're not meant to look or act or think or be like anyone else. And we're not even supposed to just be constantly becoming like there's a difference between constantly striving to be this image of perfection of, of beauty or worth. And then there's a difference in actually being and living from this place of like knowing what you already have in your deposit and like spending it wisely. I was even reading in the word today and it was um, just the amount of times that God says, and they will be my people and I will be their God. The Lord takes us on this transformation and this sanctification, like a, a journey of constantly, you know, deep calling to deep growing in him. But we ourselves, we, we just be, I'm just going to be Christian. I'm just going to be a daughter. I'm just going to be a wife. Like I want to constantly be better in those roles and, and in that purpose, but I'm not always trying to become and like, because then it's also very self-focused. Like, of course, comparison's at large right now because it's like, who's the best? Who's doing this? What else are they doing? But just be, just be in your lane. Just be where you're called. Be true to who you are. And I think that's the best way to to nip comparison in the bud. <laughs> amen and amen. <laughs> Something else that you talk about that's really powerful is how shame separates mm-hmm. us from who we are. Because as you kind of just alluded to, then the mentality is more about what we've done versus who we are. And yeah, talk to me about that sister. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. um, The equation there is very much a track record and a checklist. Um, And they really complement each other. I mean, you think about comparison, like I'm Christian and I've done this and I've done that. And this is my resume, if you will, like when I'm in a relationship and then shames the other thing of I've messed up here. I've done this. I'm only going to let you down. I'm only going to um, be a pain in your side rather than compliment to your life. And so both of these things just kind of, they take the relationship out of relationship to ourself, relationship to God, relationship to others. And I think what I saw with my own shame, and it's funny now doing research after the book is published, and um, Tim Fletcher is someone that talks about shame a lot, and I've learned in the last few months kind of his more scientific approach. <laughs> Mine's like the, the vulnerable what work that God did in my life, but they so complement each other. And I saw things that he put scientifically. I was like, oh, that makes sense, God, that you did this here. And you know, I read about this part in the book. Of course it makes sense because you're you're the orchestrator of our feelings, our emotions, our physicality. And he talks about how we have this inner realm that's our true self. And then when shame comes into our life, we take this persona realm of, ooh, I don't feel qualified in this realm. How do I personify that essence in another way? How do I trick people almost to believing that I am worthy, that I am confident? And once that keeps going and manifests so large, we get to this like outer circle where we're not even closely 
um, acting out of our true nature. Like everything is fabricated. We think of people that are, um, when they lie uncontrollably. Um, pathological liar? Narcissist? Pathological. <laughs> <laughs> Narcissist. <laughs> yeah, people that are um, pathological liars to the point of like, well, they're lying, but they don't even realize it. It's almost that level of mentality of, I don't even know who I am, but I'm only acting as the person I want to be. And I think about how detrimental that must be to the Lord's heart who made us fearfully and wonderfully in his image. If we're not acting out of that at all, like if shame has that thick of a hold on us, we're how on earth are we doing his will? How are we living in our purpose? And it all originates from the enemy saying from a shameful lie, you're not good enough. You're not lovable. No one's ever going to be there for you. You're only going to let people down. Like when you hear those lies in your mind, anyone listening to this, I want you to realize that is shame. Does it mean what you've done in the past doesn't matter? Like it's just wipes away, but like let the Lord deal with that. So you can live unashamed and you're no longer um, inhibited by those lies. So good. I'm going to have to talk about sex with you, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) This is a subject I know you don't shy away from on the internet myself as well. And you talk about it well. And as your answer just kind of alluded, those are often intertwined in our brains. And so the lie of damaged goods, the Mm. girl who's thinking, oh, well, my past is too ugly to warrant a healthy relationship. I hear that a lot, and which makes me want Mm -hmm. to scream. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess maybe, so this is something that might be helpful. A lot. I do online mentoring and mm-hmm. I literally had a call not too long ago with a similar type of conversation. Like I want a, B and C, I want a good Christian relationship. I want a godly man, but I feel disqualified because of my past, because of my shame, um, sexual shame being a big player in that. Uh, of course we know God makes all things new, but that's easier to put on a t-shirt. As we said, like, I I just want you to speak to her because I know you have some good things to say. Yeah. Well, I have a funny, maybe illustration for anyone that's felt that way. We had my son's first birthday party this week and I don't know why it was at lunchtime, but I thought we need cake, cupcakes, donuts, like all of the sugary treats. We need them. And like always when you host a party and people don't eat them all, they just stay in your fridge. (laughs) So every day, like not even at dessert time, but like at lunch with my coffee in the morning, I'm like, do I need a donut? Do I need coffee? Probably. I mean, it's just sitting there. And um, probably two nights ago, I went to sleep and thinking, I've eaten so much crap today. And like, I just feel it. Like I feel lethargic. I feel like I gained five pounds. And then I said, what am I going to do tomorrow? I'm going to eat healthier. Like I can't do anything about it right now. I can only go to sleep. Stepping on the scale is not going to make me feel better. I can't just go eat a bunch of carrots and pretend like it never happened, but I can choose to do better tomorrow. And that, if we have that mentality with our past, like it, we're not going to pretend it didn't happen. There usually are real consequences that we need to, to deal with, but the pattern we set on, if I'm going to make better choices because I know I want to have a healthy, long lasting life, I want to have healthy, long lasting relationships that means choosing the right path. And, you know, by a matter of time, those donuts I ate, if I'm staying healthy and I'm, I'm staying fit, the consequences of that are going to work themselves out, um, especially if I'm intentional about it and I, and I know what the problems could have been. And the same is true, like with my shame, I had to make the decision to make better choices. That wasn't easy. And it really wasn't overnight, if I'm honest, because 
sometimes we do think like I, I woke up that next morning and I saw the donuts again and I thought, well, I've already eaten some. So I basically, it's already there. Why not? Why pretend like it isn't? Um, but I just said, no, like the choice in the hardest part, again, I said this earlier, but healing from brokenness is just making that decision to change, deciding I made a mistake, but I want to turn, and I'm, I'm not saying donuts are mistakes, guys, but I'm just using the illustration, but saying, I know what I want. I know what is possible, not because I made the right decisions my whole life, but because God is in control. I know that he writes beautiful love stories. I know that the Bible is full of redemption. And, and we talked about the woman at the well. We, um, in the book, I talk about Abigail and Ruth and and Rahab and these women that are like, I know what my life is. We want to talk about feminism. Have the audacity and the power to say, I am capable of choosing to honor God, to to live a life of, of legacy. And so what is in my power to do that? You don't have to do it by yourself. doesn't mean you can't be in love with somebody, but you do have choices to make. Amen. You do have impact on the people around you, your husband, your children. And so take that, you know, we feel the weight of shame, like, oh, I made a mistake. Take the weight of my life's going to impact people more than just myself. So what am I going to choose to do with it? Yeah. And I feel like when I have that mentality of shame's not going to bully me, I'm very aware that I made mistakes. I'm very aware I didn't always choose the right thing, but today is a new day. And the next 10, 20 years are determinant of that. Like roll up your sleeves, girl, get ready because God can do so much with that. Yes. Way more than your past. Oh, fire. <laughs> <laughs> It, it stirs me up too. Like I'm sure like the, I just want to scream moment. Cause I'm like, I was there. Yeah. I know that. And I know it's so real and such a trap, but I've also seen the redemption and just like how freeing it is. Yeah. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have a great husband, but it's not because I did everything right. It's just because like give God the glory in your relationships and see what he'll do. Mm, yes. And you're such a walking Testament of that. And I'm so thankful that you wrote it down too. I, <laughs> I think I know the answer to this, but I would love for you to share it. Who did you write the book for? Okay, this is cool. This is the first time I'm talking about this. So exclusive access hey. to everyone listening. Um, I wrote the book for younger women, but specifically I have three younger sisters. And I thought back on all the emotions I felt, the shame, the regret, the anxiety. I remembered like the panic attacks in my bathroom. And I just thought, I don't want this for them. I don't want this for any girl coming after me. Specifically, I don't want them just to be misguided or confused in these formative years as they choose relationships. Like I want them to have an awareness of the real threats out there, of the real promise also. And so I wrote it and dedicated it to my little sisters, one of which I hadn't talked to in five years. And yesterday she sent me a text and she said, I don't know how, but I just saw found out you wrote a book. I read the title and started to tear up. She said, this is exactly what I need. Um, I've been, you know, dealing with things that she's been dealing with. And, um, and I said, can like, can I send you a copy? I'd love for you to have it. She said, yes, we, we got on the phone, talked for like 30 minutes and redeemed that relationship all from the title of this book. And I said, this book's actually dedicated to you. I had no idea. Like the message would be really prevalent to you right now. Um, and not just her, but like my other sisters and, and friends in my life, like I'm seeing 
how this is a message we need as women, but I'm also like, God, thank you. This is a book about redemption and you redeemed a relationship two days before it launches. It's just like, I have, I have chills when I think about this message isn't just mine and it's not just for me, but it's, I I think, and I hope, and I pray close to what God's heart is for women. We're not afterthoughts. We're not secondary. We're not just burdens, but we're, we're very um, sentimental to him, I think. And he just wants us to know that we're cherished and we're loved and to live from that place. That's, I love that. I've never heard it sentimental to him. I think that's so cute. And what a story about you and your sister and that healed relationship. That's incredible. I know. I'm like still realizing it, but I'm, I'm so grateful. I, I think she'd be okay with me sharing that, but <laughs> hopefully so. Yeah. Wow. that That's incredible. I knew that it was kind of for a younger you, but specifically your sister. So I think that that's amazing. Yeah, thank it. you, Katie. Yes, and thank, thank you for you. making a space to, to share with your listeners here. Of course. Um, I know that you've kind of already unpacked it, but I always like to ask my listeners before we leave, if you could mm-hmm. have coffee with your 20 year old self, what would you say? Ooh, I have my coffee right here. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> my 20 year old self, I would just hand her the book and be like, thank me later. Yes. <laughs> thank me later. No, if I could say anything, I would say um, to listen more closely to the promises that God woke on your heart than the opinions of those who don't who haven't yet heard the promises and whispers of the Lord, because I just remember hearing um, promptings of the spirit and promises that only he could do. And then taking those to people that weren't of faith that hadn't yet received those personal promises and they would doubt their validity. And I listened to their criticism more than I trusted God's will in those. And now I'm walking in those promises. I see him being so gracious, so righteous in, in my life. And, I just wish I would have trusted the Lord more than I sought for people to confirm what I felt. And part of that was because I was insecure of myself and I didn't know if God would do that for me. But if you're 20, if you're younger, just know like God's word doesn't change. His character doesn't change. Don't put more emphasis on your portion than on his portion. And don't put more emphasis on opinions than his promises. Preach. <laughs> Christian, what a pleasure to chat with you uh, in real life, sort of, kind of, in, in right. virtual life. <laughs> Close as we can. It's like, high five. Yeah, high five. <laughs> Different than social media, at least. But I'm mm-hmm. thankful for here for you, and I'm thankful for this book. is finally out in the world, so we'll make sure we link it and all the good stuff on yes. social media. So thank you so much. Thank you, Katie.